thank you for tuning in to the Voice of Victory. Today you will hear a sermon from our pastor, Lloyd Warren. He'll be preaching a sermon from the series called God's Word. We hope this sermon will be a help as you listen along. If you'll turn with me to Psalms chapter 19, Psalms chapter 19, and uh, We've had several in this series on how God uses different things to symbolize his word, and today we'll look at a couple of more. In Psalms 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Father, please use me now. And I thank you that uh, we do have a God that's real and a God that's given us a book. And uh, you teach us about the importance of this book through symbols. And tonight we'll look at two more symbols. I pray that you'll help me. Give me wisdom. Give me power. Give me freedom. And uh, we ask this in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, God's given us some beautiful symbols of his word. And uh, tonight, like I said, we'll look at a couple more. We've already seen that he has symbolized his word with gold. That was the first one that we looked at. Bread was another one. Uh, A hammer was a symbol that God has used for his word. Um, Honey is another symbol as well as a mirror. Uh, Milk, seed is a symbol of God's word. The Bible uses a lamp to symbolize itself. Fire and water were the last two that we looked at. Tonight I want us to look at something that might be a little bit unique, a little bit odd. And, uh, and we'll explain what it is. Some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about, and some I may need to explain. But turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Tonight we'll see that God symbolizes his word with an ox goad, with an ox goad. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the Bible says this. It says in verse 10, it says, The preacher sought to find out. Um, find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, not goats, but goads, G-O-A-D-S, and as nails fastened by the master, masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. I want us to look at an ox goad. Now, when we talk about this, and this verse is talking about words of wisdom, of course, there's, uh, there's no words that are more wise than the word of God, God's words. And God's words are the wisest words that there are in this world, and we have it in God's word. So as we think about this for a second, we talk about the goads, and, and, uh, and an ox goad particularly I believe it's a good illustration of what God's word does for us. And we'll look at it in in specifically and see what uh, we're talking about. We find God's word, um, we find God's words in God's word. Now I want you to notice that. We find God's words in God's word. God's word can be compared to a goad. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about a goad? Okay. Goad. Have you, have you, and I'm not mispronouncing gold either, okay? So a goad, if you, if you were goading somebody, what would you be doing? Oh, yeah. Some of you are starting to get it. We'll get there in just a second. A goad is a rod or a point of a spear. 
Uh, it's something that you can goad something with. An ox goad would be something that you could use back in Bible times. It would probably be a staff with a point on it. And that, that person that would be uh, steering that ox would goad that ox, take that pointed instrument and goad them and point them and, and prick them and push them and try to get them to go in the right direction. Are you with me now on what an ox goad is? So when we talk about goading someone, that's a term you don't hear as much. You know, well, he was goading him to, to do that. What are they talking about? He was pushing him. He was poking him. He was trying to prompt him. And we're going to look specifically at what we can learn from this. But as I was thinking about an ox goad, I, I tried to think about what, what would be a modern ox goad today. And, and one thing came right to mind. And um, I appreciate Brother Mike Dendy who helped me get this thing. How many of you know what this is? Some of you guys on the farm, if you've ever been to a sale barn, you know what this is, okay? So this would be a modern-day ox goat or cattle prod is what you may hear more today. Now you say, well, what is that thing? You can't hear it, but I can hear it ring up here. This is an electrical shocker. See those two metal prongs at the end? You use these. You see these a lot. I used to see them a lot at cattle barns. And so uh, I haven't been to a cattle barn in a long time, cattle sale, sale barn. And they'll use these things to get the cattle to go. And it's that, those two prongs, uh, it, will someone illustrate that for me? Someone come up here. And Brother, <laughs> Brother Clint be a good one. But if, if you touch somebody with those two metal prongs or a cow and hit that button, it'll give them just a little bit of shock. It'll prod them. It'll get them moving. It'll get their attention. And it's nothing really bad. It's not going to leave a mark. Definitely not on a cow. I don't know on a person. Like Once again, anybody, I try, <laughs> we'll try this out. And uh, just a little bit of electrical shock. As I was thinking about this, I thought this would be a good thing to get each of our ushers. <laughs> and anybody who goes to sleep, you know, they can just reach out there and touch them. Wake them up. I get an amen for sure. Ah! Yeah. So, but as I thought a little bit more on it, as having a little fun here, I thought this would even be better for the ushers to use it during the offering. You know, really, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> to encourage. I think, Brother Bob, we can get our offerings to go way up or people quit coming to church. One of the two, but anyway. But uh, So this, this is a modern cattle pride or an ox goad, and that's what we want to look at, and that term goading is what we're going to talk about. Um, so when we think about a goad, when we think about uh, goading, of course, a goad in, in the noun would be this right here. That'd be a goad. But to goad something as a verb would be, there's several definitions of the word goad, um, G-O-A-D. One of those definitions is to prick. Now, when I saw that definition, that got my attention because that's a Bible term, isn't it? To prick. A prick to the flesh will get your attention, won't it? You ever pricked yourself with a needle? Ever be gathering up uh, blackberries and you get pricked by the briars? You know, a prick gets your attention. A prick, someone come up behind you. Uh, my brother is working out at the horse show tonight, or, um, or I was going to get him to come up and volunteer, but no. But um, one of the things he does a lot is he'll come, some of you gentlemen know what I'm talking about, come back and pinch you right there in the back of your arm, right in that soft spot. That gets your attention, doesn't it? That's sort of like a prick. Get you, get, a lot of you guys do that. I grew up here and guys do that. Come up and prick you. Pinch you right there in the back of the arm. Um, a prick will get your attention. And, and God has a way of pricking us. 
getting our attention. Now, there's one thing about a prick. It doesn't damage, and it's not a real terrible experience. Now, it's a little bit of pain, and it, but it gets your attention, but it doesn't really leave necessarily a mark or, or does a whole lot of damage. And God has a way of getting our attention. He goads us. He goads us. It's that prick. It's that you shouldn't be living that way. Little prick. Ooh, that didn't feel good, brother. There you go. What, Lord, what do you need? It's that little bit of prick that comes from the Lord as he's trying to get our attention. We're not doing what we ought to do. We're not following him the way we ought to follow him. He doesn't come down on us with a sledgehammer. He doesn't come in and chastise us immediately. We find that he's long-suffering. He, he may goad us a little bit. He may prick us. You know, the conscience says, oh, that wasn't right. You shouldn't have watched that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. Is that little, you talk, you, we've even talked about having a prick in your conscience. You know, just that little bit of warning that God sends. You know, God can prick us through a sermon. He can goad us through a sermon. The preacher gets up, and, I, and by the way, I, I don't try to keep up with what everybody's doing. I'll be honest, I really don't, if someone's doing something wrong, I'll just be honest, maybe this is a coward's way out, I'd rather not know about it. A lot of people think that the preacher tries to keep up with everybody's business so he can get on to them. That's just not me. I, I would rather not know about it. I sort of hate it when someone comes to me and says, did you know that so-and-so, I'm like, I wish I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so I'm not one of those kind of guys, but a sermon can be preached and you'll think, man, the preacher must have saw me last week. He must have heard me. He must have seen what I did. My wife's been telling him and now he's going to let me have it. That's just not the case. By the way, wives, if you want me to straighten your husband out, don't tell me what's wrong because it'll be a long time before I preach on that subject. All right? So don't, don't do that. you got a better chance of just talking to the Lord about it and the Lord will tell me what to say and, and I'll, I'll just be ignorance is bliss and Brother Mike, I'll just preach and, and not even realize that I'm reading somebody's mail. And so, so this, a sermon can do that. It can prick you. God can use a sermon to prick you, he, to try to get your attention. By the way, he can use financial, mechanical, or physical setbacks to sort of prick us, to goad us. Hey, don't do that. Don't, hey. Now, let me say something real quick. Every time you get sick or every time there's a financial crisis or every time there's something breaks down, it doesn't mean that God is, that you're in trouble. It does not mean that you've done anything wrong. Most of the time, it doesn't. But I'm going to tell you something. If we'll learn this as Christians, it'll go a long way. When those things happen, you ought to stop for a second and say, Lord, you trying to tell me something? Be wise. Well, I don't think I've done anything wrong. Well, you're probably getting pricked. You're probably getting goaded if that's your attitude. But if your attitude is, whoa, my goodness, the car broke down again. The finances are going in reverse. Lord, I'm not sure what's going on here. Are you trying to show me something? Be very wise to do that. And like I said, most of the time it has, I don't believe it has most of the time has anything to do with wrong in our life. It's just the way things happen. And it's what God allows to happen in our lives from time to time to get us to look to him. But once again, that's that goading. That's that prick that's saying, hey, oh, yeah, Lord, what, what are you trying to tell me? God will use that to get our attention. Now, you can resist God's goading. You can resist God's pricking you. But you're going to face a hard thing for doing it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. And some of you, your minds immediately went here when I talked about this, that word. 
Acts chapter 9 and verse 3 through 5, we have an interesting story. Paul is not Paul yet, he's still Saul. And he's, he is terrorizing the church. He is uh, persecuting the church and he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's near Damascus. We call it the road to Damascus sometimes. And it says this, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, remember, his name had not been changed yet. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now notice this, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Yeah, there it is. And it means exactly what we're talking about tonight. You know what I believe? Long before the road to Damascus, God was pricking old Saul. I believe when Stephen was, was dying and Saul saw it there and he was holding those coats, there was something that pricked him in his heart that said, that man's right and you're wrong. And Saul went, oh, no, no, I'm doing God's will. He's the infidel. He's the, he's the crazy one. I'm the one that's right. But he got pricked. No doubt because it's a plural term here. God had pricked him a couple of times and said, hey, you're not doing right, Saul. You're not doing right. And what does God say here? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. I've been out at the sale barn before, a cattle auction, and when these, some of those guys will have one of these, and they'll take this thing and they'll stick it up there to a cow right in the side and they'll hit that button. And you know what that cow will do? That, that leg will come out quick. They'll kick. Yeah, they'll kick against the prick. That's what happens. Yeah, and you know, that's what we do sometimes. God is trying to goad us. He's trying to say, uh, son, daughter, go this way. No, no, don't go that way. Don't, don't, hey, don't go that way. Go, go this way. He's goading us. Just a little prick. And you can kick against it if you want to. You say, forget that. I don't, ah, get that away. Ah, get that off of me. I don't, stop that. I'm going this way anyway. And what does God tell Paul here? He says, it's hard for you to do that. It's not good. It's not good. Child of God, when the Lord starts pricking you, when he starts goading you, don't kick against it. You say, well, that's not that bad. That doesn't hurt too bad. Ooh, you better watch it. Because he's promised to chastise. But he'll start with a little goading first. He's promised to chastise, and, and, but he'll start with the goading. Don't, don't, don't allow, that's a hard thing in your life if you, if you kick against these pricks that Christ sends. You know, he's prodding us. He's trying to get us to go in the right direction. Verse 6 should be our response to the goading to the prick. Verse 6, Acts 9. This is Saul. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? You see, that goes back to what I said a minute ago. Every time you think you get pricked is not necessarily God saying, hey, you're doing something wrong. It's not necessarily that way. It could just be you're starting to drift the wrong direction. It could just be that you're not sure which way to go and God's trying to do a little goading to try to help you find the right direction. But hey, our response shouldn't be to kick against it. But our response should be like Saul says here, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Lord, are you trying to show me something? Lord, what's going on here? I don't understand it. Please give me your will. Show me. You know, another definition of that word goad, the verb goad, not only does it mean to prick, it also means to stimulate. God's word will stimulate your mind. 
Yes. Have you ever, our kids sometimes will say when they've been playing tech for a long time, we'll say, you guys are pleasure zombies. That's what we'll say. Turn the tech off, turn your brain back on. You notice that with the kids? Too much tech kills their brain cells, I think. Read his words. Read it. Well, preacher, sometimes I don't get anything out of it. You need to read it anyway. I promise you if you'll keep reading it. Well, I tried that once. You know, that five minutes you took just didn't get the job done. Well, I read it for a couple of days. Hey, why don't you try a couple months? And I guarantee you it'll change you. It'll stimulate your mind. It'll help you not only with this, it'll just help you with learning whatever it is you're trying to learn, whether it be math, English, or science, or something at work. Get into that book. It's stimulating. It it goads the mind. God's word gets us to mentally consider some eternal subjects. That's powerful. God's word will goad or stimulate, in other words, your purpose. Your purpose. We get in this, this, just like our minds, our lives get that way. We get in a rut. You know, you've talked about that before. You say, well, I'm just sort of in a rut. We do, we get in a rut. We sort of get in our little tradition, our life, and we just do things that we've always done, and, and we're in a rut. We just sort of this, this you know, case uh, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. But you get into the Word of God, and it not only stimulates your mind, once again, goad your mind. That's what that word goad means. It means to stimulate, but it will also stimulate your purpose. Begin to realize you're not just here to live and die, and eat, and be merry, and just entertain yourself. There's so much more to life. Young people, you got so much to live for. you got so much to your life. And I'll be honest, most young people are that, you know, they're excited about the future and looking forward to it. But some of us older folks, we sort of get in our little, our little rut. And we begin to think, well, my time's done. My days are over, and I'm just waiting for the Lord to take me home. Until you stop breathing, your time's not done. And God's got a purpose. And you get into this book, it'll stimulate your purpose. Hey, I need to get busy. I need to do something. I need God to use me. Lord, use me today. Yeah, God's got a purpose for you, child of God. Psalms 119.59, I thought on my ways and I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. The word of God will get you, it'll goad. It will stimulate your mind. It'll stimulate your purpose. That word goad as a verb also means to drive with a goad or to move forward, to move forward. God's word to get you moving. Get you moving. How many churches, just be honest, if we think about it, how many churches, just be honest, are dead? They open the doors, they come in, they worship, they leave, and nothing changes and nothing really gets done. And ever so often they'll do a little something to make everybody feel good, but nothing is really moving. I thank the Lord for Victory Baptist Church. There's so much moving here. Brother Jim, you say, I just hear the announcements. He, you say, I, I just hear the announcements and I get tired. <laughs> I know what he means now. Yeah. Hey, there's so much going on here. Why? Because when God's word is applied, there's a goading to move forward. Not to just sit and, hey, we're, we're, we're saved, we're sanctified, and we're waiting for the second coming. Hey, listen, there's something to get done. Let's get moving. Let's move forward. That's what that word goad means. 
You know, in a sail barn, they had these things, and if you've ever been there, a lot of times the workers will be up above the cattle or the livestock, and they'll be coming through a chute, and they're trying to get them moving. And there'll always be one that just decides they're not moving. And you know what they do? Brother Tim, they get the goad out. And they reach down in there, and they start goading them. Get moving. Get going. We've got things to do. You know, God does that with us so often. Get moving, Lord. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting laid back there. Get moving, child of God. And he goads us a little bit. That's what that means. It means to get moving. God never, and listen to this, no matter what your age or what you've done in the past. And by the way, let me go ahead and say this. Obviously, we can't always do what we once did. That's just the truth. We can't always do what we once did. I, hey, we're, we're, are these bodies, just I was so thankful. I didn't realize it until Brother Dalton took over as youth pastor. I was feeling pretty good about where I was, and then I saw him come in and get excited, and I thought, wow, I really lost a lot. <laughs> a lot of my mojo, so to speak. I was glad to have a young guy come in and take over, and boy, I sort of saw that. But you know, we, we don't have the energy that we once did, but I'm going to tell you something. God never intends you to stop moving or to stop growing. Never. Never. If you're laying on your back in a bed somewhere and you can't get out and you can't do anything, if you still got your mind working, there's something you can do. First Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That they may grow thereby. What helps us to grow? The word of God. It's a goad. An ox goad, by the way, not only can it be there to push us forward, to goad us along, to prick our minds, to, to uh, get us stimulated to do the work of God. Not only that, but turn with me to Judges chapter 3 and verse 31. Judges chapter 3. We'll hear about a guy that put an ox goad to good use. An ox goad can be a mighty weapon when it's in the hand of someone who allows God to show them how to use it. Judges chapter 3 verse 31 says this. And after him was Shamgar. Now Shamgar was one of David's mighty men. Listen to what it says. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with a what? An ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. Now I'll tell you something, Brother Lee, it wasn't one of these right here, that's for sure. It's probably a big wooden stick, Brother Eric. Probably had a point on each end, and he knew how to use it. You ever see those ninjas flip that bow around, the bow stick? And He had some ninja qualities, Brother Tim, I guess so. He slew 600 Philistines with an ox goad. I tell you what, you take an ox goad and put it in the hand of a man allows God to show him how to use it, he can get a lot done. This book, Brother Bobby, doesn't look like a whole lot to the world, but I'm telling you what, this ox goad makes a real good, a real good weapon. God, if we allow God to use it in our hands. Now, speaking of weapons, I want to go to another symbolism of God's word, and it indeed is a weapon for sure. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. You know this verse real well. It says this, And take the helmet of salvation 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. You know, the next symbol we have for, for God's Word is probably one of the first ones you, you thought about when you think of symbolism for the Word of God, and that's a sword. A sword is a very clear and definite symbol for the Word of God. I'm glad, Brother Lee, that he makes this a symbol for his word. And we'll look at it here for just a little bit. But I'm glad that he takes and, and, and makes the sword a symbol because I, I love swords. I, I love anything that has to do with weapons or military. The sword, for most of civilization, for most of civilization, you realize this was the greatest weapon. For the majority of civilized years, this was the greatest weapon until the advent of the gun, basically. All soldiers knew how to use one thing for sure. You realize that Rome conquered the known world with a sword that was about, uh, about two-thirds the size of this sword. And they conquered the known world because they knew how to use their sword. They knew how to take the sword into battle. And so the sword's a good example of the word of God. In 1 Samuel 13, 22, it says, And it came to pass in the day of battle, that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people, talking about the Israelites, that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, there, there were found. Here's a whole army. This is a bad situation. Brother Rich, it'd be rough to have a whole army and only two guys have a sword. But that's where the children of Israel found themselves. Just two of them. The king and his son had a sword. That's how important the sword was. So when God uses the sword as an example, to us, it's more ornamental. This sword happens to be a, a cavalry saber that they'd have used back during the time of the Civil War. It's a reproduction. But it's, they're more ornamental today. But back then, a sword was powerful. It was, like the, it was like a rifle of its day, an assault rifle of its day. And here they didn't even have, but two of them had, only two. By the way, let me just say this as we're talking about swords. Those who have trouble with um, our Second Amendment rights and try to use Christianity to put down the right to bear arms haven't read the Word of God too closely. Because Jesus himself encouraged the taking of weapons. Yes, Jesus did. Luke twenty two thirty six. If you want to mark it, it's Luke twenty two thirty six. Just before the crucifixion, then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. <laughs> so, child of God, it's perfectly okay on the authority of Jesus Christ's word Himself that you have a firearm to protect your family. Perfectly fine. You know, I, I personally, Brother Bobby, I personally believe, and my heart goes out to Peter. Peter is one of my favorite uh, characters in the Bible, my favorite men in the Bible. But when he took that sword out and he cut the ear of the high priest's servant, his ear off, once again, obviously he wasn't swinging for his ear, but he just missed what he was swinging for. But, you know, I think Peter was saying, well, Lord, you told us to get a sword. I guess it's time to use one. You know, my heart sort of goes out to Peter. He didn't fully understand what was going on. But I think he sort of had, I think he was sincere in what he was doing. And so he, he said, I got a sword. I'm going to use it. You're not going to touch my Savior. I sort of like that myself. But I'm afraid Peter then gets offended and, and that leads to, of course, him denying the Savior. But... I love that God compares his word to a sword. 
And that makes sense. Why a sword? Because God tells us we're to be good soldiers. We're to endure hardness, what? As a soldier. God's people are soldiers, not involved in a physical warfare, but in a spiritual one. And what is our sword? Well, it's not this. Like I said, this is simply ornamental. It used to hang above my, my desk in my office when I was youth pastor, just simply ornamental. But our sword is right here, and it's not ornamental. Or at least I hope you're not allowing it to be ornamental. There's a lot of people who do. They just sits out there on the coffee table on the entrance, in the foyer. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's awesome. Put a Bible out there for looks. That's great. You want to decorate your home with Bibles? I think that's awesome. But you ought to have one you better be reading. They're not just a decoration. You know, I was thinking the other day, how many people wear the cross and they don't even know. Wear it around their neck and they, they don't even know what it really means. They just, I, I talked to a girl one time on my bus route, a young lady, and she had a cross on. I said, hey, I like your necklace. She said, really? I said, yeah, the cross. She said, yeah, I just wear it because I think it's pretty. I said, really? I tried to tell her a little bit about what it meant. You know, but I'm afraid some people do the Bible the same way. But um, this sword of ours is no ordinary sword. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It's not an ordinary sword. It's unlike any other weapon. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is no ordinary sword that you hold in your hand. This is the most powerful sword on earth, the most powerful weapon on earth. It is. You say, how on earth does it hurt anybody? See, that's what's beautiful about this weapon. It doesn't hurt anybody. It helps everybody. It's a powerful weapon, though. And this is, you notice the Bible said, it says, and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, it didn't say it was a two-edged sword, but it said it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But let's take that thought, the Bible being a two-edged sword. And I've heard this statement, and I like it. I believe it can definitely be applied. You know, if you got a two-edged sword, it cuts both ways. If it goes in, it can cut this way or this way. It cuts both ways. And the Word of God, when it goes into the ear canal and into our hearts, let me guarantee you something, it's going to cut every single time. Now, it can cut for good or it can cut for bad. And the way it cuts is, is totally up to the person who's listening as to how they respond to the cut, whether it's good or bad. You see, if they hear the word of God and they view that cut as, as they would a cut from an enemy soldier, then they're going to respond negatively. Well, I don't like that. What's that preacher saying that for? I disagree with that. I don't like that. That offended me. I don't believe that's right. And the cut cuts them for bad because they view it the wrong way. The way to view the cut of this sword is like a scalpel in the hands of a doctor. It goes in and it cuts for good. It cuts the cancer out. It cuts the bad out. It helps us get rid of the things that are killing us. Now that's a good cut. And it's totally up to you as to how you respond to the cut. But the fact is, the Bible says here, for the word of God, back in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick. It's quick. 
Now that's not referring to the speed. That is not referring to speed, no. That word quick there, and you can look it up, it means life. It means alive. You've heard this illustration before. Um, Miss B, I'll never forget Brother Jim using it. How many of you have ever heard, if you say you have a quick on your finger, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Is that, I don't know if that's still used a lot, but I, I've known that since I was a kid. Come to my parents and there's a little piece of, a little piece of uh, flesh or skin that's sticking up right there by your fingernail. And you know what happens? If you grab that thing and yank it, what's going to happen? You're going to come alive. <laughs> that's called a quick and it's painful and, and you know, here, let me get that. No, 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 leave it alone, leave it alone. Yeah, it'll make you come alive. And that word quick there is talking about life. And I'll tell you something. You can read any novel out there. You can read any book out there. And once you read it, you've read it. And most cases, I only know of a couple of books other than the Bible that I've read more than once. Once you've read it, you've read it, Brother Don. You don't really want to go back. That's because those books aren't alive. But you can go back to this book again and again and again and get something new every time you go. Because it's living it's a living book. We have a sword that's alive, Brother Joe. It's alive. Thank the Lord for this sword that's alive. It's quick. And it's powerful. Do you realize that this book has changed people? It's changed kings. It's changed countries. It's changed whole civilizations. I mean, even the enemies of the Bible, even the enemies of the Bible have to agree that it has been a positive effect on mankind. Yeah. I know those, well, what about, the, what about the Crusades? What are you talking about? That wasn't Christians, that was Catholics. Yeah. I know my history. Christians were being killed by the same Crusaders that were killing Muslims, yeah. killing Jews. Those Crusaders were sent by the Pope. They were not sent by God. Big difference. Everywhere that Christianity has gone, it has liberated people. It has given them freedom. It has helped them. And so we find here that it's powerful. It changes civilizations. The sword of the Lord cuts to the heart of every issue. In Hebrews 4.12, look at it again. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, notice this, of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This sword goes in, soul and spirit. Notice this, notice the definition here, the, the, the separation, soul and spirit, that's a spiritual. Joints and marrow, that's the physical. The Bible goes in and it helps us to tell the difference between the two. The Bible goes in and says, hey, this is spiritual. You're doing right here. But now this, what you're doing over here, Lord, that's plumb carnal and fleshly and that's wrong in what you're doing. It helps us discern. Helps us see the truth. You know, Paul, when he was Saul, thought he was doing, Brother Lee, thought he was doing the work of God. He thought he was doing God's work. But when he heard from Jesus, when he heard the words of the Lord, suddenly it helped him to discern cut right through it and he realized that what he was doing was not spiritual but was plumb fleshly and evil and that's what the word of God would do for you well I think this is right and I think this is right and we all come together and decide what we think is right it doesn't matter the Bible tells you exactly what's spiritual and what's not 
And I thank the Lord for it. Also, it goes into the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The thoughts and the intents. You know, I can't tell anybody's intentions. And by the way, church, we're wrong when we try to critique or judge people's intentions. We're wrong when we do that. Well, I know, I know why they're doing that. No, you don't. Well, I know why he gave that money. No, you don't. She got up there just because she wanted some attention. You don't know that. We're wrong to judge each other's intents. The word of God will judge people's intents. And by the way, that word of God will show them what their true intentions are. The word of God will show them what they're, why they're doing what they're doing and, and, and where their heart really is. Let's not be guilty of doing that to each other. Nobody can withstand this sword. Hey, there have been many a man that has withstood this sword. Many a country, many an army that's been able to break these swords. No matter how strong, you know, Rome fell. Strongest military and it fell. Nazi Germany fell. Great militaries, communism. I know it's still around and it's lurking for the most part though in all of its glory, it fell. It's not what it was. But I'll tell you something. This weapon has never failed. It's never failed. Look at the next verse, verse 13 in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hey, not, hey, everything, God knows. We can't hide anything from him. God knows who you are, where you've been, what you've done. He knows we can fool each other, but we can't fool God. That sword goes right in and it penetrates the heart and it shows the intents and it shows us who we really are and where, we're, where we really are spiritually. So what do we need to do with this sword? We need to study. We need to practice with our sword. We need to study. We need to get used to it. And the more you study it, the more you study your weapon, the better soldier you'll be. The more you practice with it. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The more you use it, the better soldier you'll become. You know, listen, God doesn't just intend for us to practice. He wants us to engage the enemy. There's a lot of people spend a lot of time practicing. Now listen, I'm 100% for studying. I'm 100% for getting all you can out of that book and learning all you can out of that book. But what good does it do a soldier to go down to the rifle range and practice day after day after day but refuse to ever engage the enemy? We've got a lot of schools of higher learning and people who maybe know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot of detail. They know a lot of information, but they're not engaging the enemy at all. They're just learning more and more and more. God doesn't intend for us to take in without giving out. And we need to engage the enemy. I'm thankful that Brother Dalton took our young people out today and what what they do? They engage the devil. They went out on the battlefield just young people out on the battlefield and engaged. Took what they knew. And by the way, most of them don't know anywhere near what many of us know. And many of us can't even remember the last time we witnessed to anybody. We'd be hard-pressed to remember a time that we reached in a coat pocket or a purse and left a track. Can't even remember a time. 
Oh, preacher, I love learning about the word of God. Praise the Lord. I'm all, hey, we need to do more of it. But are you using it at all to engage the enemy? Are you going and, and taking what you learn to engage the enemy? We've got a sword. God expects us to put it to use. I'm sorry, on the battlefield. I had this thought. I was done with this message and was looking back over it today. And, and, when, I came, and when I looked back over it, the Lord gave me this thought. I'm just going to read it. You know, listen, a lot of times we're afraid to engage the enemy. Well, preacher, you know, I know why you would because you're a preacher, but I just don't know enough. I just, I don't know all that I should know about the Bible. I'll admit it, I don't know what I should know. And, and I just, I just, I'm afraid, you know, I just, listen. You don't have to understand every component of a gun. You don't have to take, if you've got a gun, you don't have to understand how it works how the spring works and all the components and how the bullet is fired and the percussion cap in the back. You don't have to understand all of that in order to be able to use it, do you? In order to use a gun, guess what? In order to use a gun, you just have to pick it up and shoot it. You have to be willing to pick it up and know enough that the barrel goes away from me and my finger goes around that trigger and when I squeeze the trigger, it gets the job done. Listen, maybe this will help us. The same job gets done no matter the intelligence of the user. You hear that? The same job gets done, we're talking about weapons here, no matter the intelligence of the user. There are so many of God's people that go, well, I didn't go to Bible college, and I just got saved recently, and I just haven't had time to study. I work a lot, and I just don't. And, you know, preacher, I, I want to get out there and engage the enemy, but I just don't know enough. Hey, listen, all you've got to know is enough to pick up the gun, pick up the sword, and use it. Pull the trigger. You know, it's simple. Did you know witnessing is very simple? You just tell them what happened to you. Did you get saved? You're qualified to witness somebody else. Now, I'll be honest, we can add to it, we can learn, we can study, and sure we should, most definitely. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're saved today, you could witness to anybody because you know how to pick up the sword and use it. Well, I just, you know, I need to know more about that sword. No, you know enough that you got saved, didn't you? Add to it, but we need to get out there and engage the enemy. A soldier without a weapon is in trouble. He's in trouble. Ephesians six seventeen. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I've never been on the battlefield. I've never been in the military. But I would assume that one of the worst feelings in the world would be being on the battlefield and your gun jam and you're out of ammo. I would assume that would be the, most, the worst feeling because as long as you got a weapon, you feel like you got a fighting chance. As long as you got a weapon, you feel like, hey, they may be bigger than us, but at least I got a chance because I got a weapon. But when you have no weapon, you know, goodness, what can you do? Child of God, you've got a weapon. Ephesians 6, 17, it says, and take, and take. It's up to you to take it. You got a weapon. It's up to you to grab it. You use it if you want it. It's there. God has it there. And by the way, the good thing about this, as opposed to a lot of weapons, it never runs out of ammo. No, you can't use it up. Some of you young people, you play these games, and I have two, where you're going and it's a shooting game or you're going up against the bad guys and, and you've got unlimited ammo. That's a good feeling, isn't it? 
You just can sit down on that trigger and hold a trigger and you, unlimited ammo. Hey, guess what? You got unlimited ammo right here. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword. I hope you'll take the sword. Some believers, this is, this is the truth, some believers don't have their own sword. That's why the Bible and literature exists. Can you imagine that? There are some believers out there that they don't have their own sword. Brother Donald, they don't even have one. Maybe the preacher at the church they attend has one. Some of the people in the church do, but they don't have their own copy. How sad, how terrible. How rough would it be if you didn't have a sword? Here in just a little while, we're going to have the scripture conference. The whole purpose for that, the whole purpose for that, that uh, poster board back there is to get swords into the hands. Yes, they give them out to lost folks. But one of the big reasons they want to do is get the sword into the hands of soldiers. God's people out there that need a sword. And, uh, but some people, they don't have their own sword. Some believers, some believers don't have their own sword. Some believers, they've got their own sword, but they don't ever use it. They got a bunch of swords, but they never put them to use. Unfortunately, in today's society, some believers have picked up a faulty sword faulty sword it's it's not been made right it wasn't tempered right brother lee when they take it to battle it's going to break down on them sir it's a nerf sword amen but they it's not the right one it's faulty it wasn't made right it came from corrupt manuscripts brother shannon lamont wrote a a thesis on uh history of our english bible and i just got finished reading it and it's, it's powerful and it's good. And I'm going to tell you something. You've got an inerrant, infallible, preserved word of God in that King James Bible. But I will not say that about any other version, English version of the Bible. I absolutely will not say that because I know better. They come from faulty manuscripts, every one of them. You can do the research. It, two places that come from different sources, Alexandrian texts versus Antiochian texts. And anyway... There, so be careful. You don't want a faulty sword. Well, preacher, it'll still cut. Yes, it will. There's good in it. Yes, I believe there's good in it. It contains the Word of God, but I want something more than what contains the Word of God. I want the whole Word of God. Every verse, every word. I showed you here when I did the message here a while back on abortion, on the subject of abortion. And I so showed you how in the NIV, um, I believe it's the, the newest, this is about the only one you can buy at the bookstore. But right now there's a verse of scripture in there that absolutely positively gives the all right, the okay for abortion. I've read the verse. The only reason I knew it was there is because I read a guy's article who was defending abortion. And he said the Bible okays abortion. And my head exploded. And I said, i got to read this. Where does he get this? He has a verse. I'll share it with you if you've missed that sermon. He has a verse in the NIV, but not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, give any credence to abortion. I got off on a rabbit trail. If you need more information on that, I'd be happy to talk to you after church and give you that verse I'm talking about. Some believers love, study, and engage the enemy with their sword. I hope that's you tonight. You know, God's word is an ox goad. It pricks. It stimulates. It gets us moving in the right direction. It's an ox goad. Maybe you got pricked tonight. Didn't feel good. God said, you know he's telling you the truth. Yeah, but I don't like that. I disagree with that. Well, show him. Show him where, he, where, is, where is he wrong. Show him. 
Show him where he's wrong. Show him in the Bible where he's wrong. Prick him, prick him, prick him. Maybe you got pricked tonight. Maybe God's saying, hey, it's time for you to stimulate your mind. It's time for you to stimulate your purpose. It's time for you to get moving forward. That's what that ox goad does. It's a sword. It's a sword. That sword is there. It's quick. It's alive, child of God. It's alive. It's powerful. And it shows us where we're at and what we should be doing. It divides the spiritual from the, the carnal and the, the, the evil from the good. How good are you with your sword? How often do you use it? Do you practice with it? Do you engage the enemy with it? It's a powerful weapon. I hope you take your sword. I hope you take your ox goat and you use it to do the great work of God.